All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, so he's saying, now concerning the rapture of the church, our gathering together to him, that's the rapture of the church, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. I wonder why they'd be troubled. The Apostle Paul had written them a letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and also chapter 5 in the first letter, where he talks about the rapture and we being caught up to be with the Lord. He says, comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming. He's going to catch his bride away to be with him. The day of the Lord is coming. I just ministered that in the 9 a.m. service. And your children of the day, you don't have to worry about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a seven-year time period of what's called the tribulation, the great tribulation period. You've been saved from the wrath yet to come. So he explained it all in his first letter. Now he's talking to them, writing the second letter. And the reason being is because they were so soon shaken in mind and troubled. Why? Why? Either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ or the day of the Lord had come. They now that believed because of what people were saying that they were in the day of the Lord. That they were in the great tribulation period. The Apostle Paul had written them in the first letter that you will miss it. That the day of tribulation, the wrath of God coming upon the earth, that you're not a part of that. That you'll be caught up out of it, saved from it. And now they're all concerned that they're in the midst of it. That's why they're troubled. Let no one deceive you, he says, by any means. For that day, the day of the Lord, the great tribulation period, the day of judgment, will not come unless the falling away comes, the apostasy first, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition. You know you're not in the tribulation period because the, the man of sin, the Antichrist, hasn't been revealed. You know you're in the tribulation period when the Antichrist is revealed, when you see him. So when you get those prophets or those preachers that say, I know who the Antichrist is, I'm going to tell you who it is, it's been revealed to me, I want you to know the Antichrist is going to be revealed during the Great Tribulation period, and if you know what it is, you ought to be very sorrowful because you've missed the rapture, and now you're in the Tribulation period. Don't go and visit Mr. Prophet who tells you that they know who the Antichrist is. It's a secret. He's not going to be revealed until... You're in the tribulation period. Let no one deceive you. I'm back to verse 3. By any means that that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, that's another term for the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits, and so this is talking about in verse 4, the abomination of desolation, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That will be in the three and a half year mark of the seven year period of the great tribulation when he commits the abomination of desolation. Verse four is talking about that. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining so that he may be revealed in his own time. So something is keeping the antichrist from being revealed, restraining. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one or the Antichrist will be revealed. So the restrainer must stop restraining for the Antichrist to be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe, believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And may the Lord help us as we make our way through this passage of Scripture. They were being deceived. Verse 3 talks about this. False teachers had entered into this particular church in Thessalonica. They were telling the believers that they had missed the rapture and were now in the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. The day of the Lord is a seven-year period called the tribulation where God deals directly with human sin. It is a time of God's wrath upon the earth. Verse 2, he says, he says, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit, by word, or by letter, by spirit, I think he's referring to prophetic utterances. The Lord will tell you that the day of the Lord is now, that you are in the tribulation, that I think that they were prophesying this by word. So by spirit would be a prophetic utterance by word. That's a message, like I'm preaching a message. They were preaching this or by letter as if from us. So remember the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians? Well, apparently, they wrote another letter, only not the Apostle Paul, a forged letter, neither by letter as if from us. Somebody assigned the Apostle Paul's name to this letter, saying that they are in the day of the Lord, which is the great tribulation period. So he's writing to tell them, listen, you are not in the day of the Lord. What will the world be like right before the Lord's coming? Well, I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 37. Some great things here, because we see the setting of the table right now in the day and age in which we live. In Luke chapter 17, verse 26, it says this, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So right before the Lord comes, we find Noah and his family are delivered out of judgment. And those times preceding that judgment, the flood, they ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage. Then it says in verse 28, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, Listen to this. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. I'm going to call that business as usual. Before the Lord returns for his church to deliver the righteous out from coming judgment, because both Noah and Lot and Lot's children were delivered from the judgment to come, they were taken out and then the flood came. They were taken out, and then the fire and brimstone fell. The Bible says everything was as it always was. They built, they drank, they ate, they bought, they sold, they planted. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So deliverance, and then judgment. Rapture. And then judgment. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Why is that? Because once the church is removed, the day of the Lord begins, a seven-year period, and that's the time of the day of the God's wrath. When that, when you enter into that seven-year period, I want you to know, run, flee, flee, run, get out of there. Danger, danger, right? Remember Lot's wife. Why that? She loved the world and perished with the world. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. So if you want to save your life, lose it. In other words, lay it down, give it to Jesus. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other will be left. This is the rapture. Two women will be grinding together or shopping at Kmart. The one will, Kmart, Walmart. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And the answer is said to him, where, Lord? Wherever the body is and that church will be up in the air in the clouds. There the eagles will be gathered together. So where did the eagles circle? Up in the air, in the clouds. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord is coming to the clouds. We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. That's where the eagles fly, right there in the clouds and in the air, right? So what do we have here? What will the world be like? It'll be business as usual. Eating and drinking, buying, selling, marrying, planting, building, all that good stuff. In other words, how should we live our life right now? I wrote this down. You do not have to do anything drastic except live for the Lord. Be in a state of readiness. Be in a state of watchfulness. Be alert. Purify yourselves. Live for the Lord, right? Be ready for his return. You don't need to escape. You don't need to hoard food. You don't need to put off having children. You don't need to fear the mark of the beast. Why is that? Because that happens during the great tribulation period. You are not going to go through that great tribulation period. The Lord has not appointed you unto wrath. He's appointed unto you salvation. You're going to be called to be with the Lord. Be comforted this day. Be at peace. So what will the world be like? Number one, business as usual. Number two, it'll be filled with immorality and violence. So it was in the days of Lot and Noah, so also shall it be right before the Lord catches us home to be with him. And I would say our world is filled with immorality and violence, wouldn't you? Absolutely. It'll be a time when the righteous remnant are living for God. The righteous remnant, Lot, was a righteous man living for God in Sodom. Noah was a righteous man. Matter of fact, he was a preacher of righteousness, and he was living for God during the days of Noah, during the time of extreme wickedness and violence. God always has a remnant. God always has a people. We need to be that righteous remnant living for God. Amen? Let that encourage you and also just set a challenge before you. Number four, there will be this sudden removal of the righteous from impending judgment. Lot was saved from judgment. Noah was saved from judgment. So also shall we be saved from the wrath to come, which is the great tribulation period. And then there will be catastrophic world judgment. Looking back at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, reading verses 3 and 7, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation period, the time of God's wrath, 
will not come unless, number one, there is a falling away first. And then the man of sin is revealed, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. What three things must happen? Number one, there needs to be a great apostasy, a great falling away. Number two, the Antichrist needs to be revealed. And number three, the restrainer needs to be removed. Those three things. Great apostasy, Antichrist revealed, and the strainer removed. And the Antichrist cannot be removed until the restrainer is removed out of the way, or the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. We'll talk about who that restrainer is in a little bit, but there needs to be a falling away. The restrainer needs to stop restraining, and the Antichrist needs to be revealed. And so Paul's writing, he's trying to settle their hearts. They're literally thinking we've missed the rapture. We're in the time of great tribulation. That's the time of God's wrath. It's going to get horrible. No wonder they were so so troubled and shaken in mind. It'd be as if I was to say, starting right now, the clock is ticking and the trumpets are going to sound. The seals are going to be open and the bulls are going to be poured out. And great fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God is going to come upon him. And the Antichrist is going to have power over us. And he He's going to behead us and kill, and there's going to be murder and mayhem and great tribulation. Now, be comforted. Be comforted. But see, the apostle Paul says, comfort your, yourself, one another, with these words. Jesus is coming for his bride, his church, and then all these things will come upon this world. What is the falling away? Because verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin or the Antichrist is revealed the son of perdition. So basically he's telling the, the, the Christians, listen, there hasn't been the great falling away yet. And there is no Antichrist being revealed yet. So you know you're not in the day of the Lord So don't think that you are. I don't care if somebody prophesied it. I don't care if somebody preached it. I don't care if you got this letter from somebody saying it's from me that's telling you these things. They're all wrong. You guys tracking this? All right, very good. The falling away is the apostasy. It's prophesied in the scriptures, not just here, but also in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times... And we are living in the latter times. Remember the last days are the days from his resurrection to his second coming. That's considered latter times. In the last days, uh, it says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Second Timothy chapter 3 says similar things. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. The only way you can deceive is if you yourself are being deceived. False teachers and false prophets themselves are deceived into believing a lie. So deceiving and being deceived. It goes on. In the last days, the Lord will pour out his spirit. The Bible tells us that in Joel chapter 2, right? 
In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. We are living in these last days. Also, the Bible tells us that the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. And then the end shall come. So unprecedented gospel witness in the last days. And the wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Right? At the same time. The Bible also prophesies that there will be a turning away from the truth by denominations, by churches, by individuals. So we see in the very last days, revival and apostasy will simultaneously be happening. So some preachers are preaching, there's coming a great revival. And the Bible says the Lord's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. So certainly you can, according to the scriptures, believe in just this coming great revival. And let me say this about this. We are living in unprecedented unprecedented times People are pouring into the kingdom of God uh, during these days, during this time, than at any time since Christ resurrected. We are living in these last days of the Lord just pouring out his spirit and saving people. But the Bible also says in the last days there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away. So on the one hand, amazing, and on the other hand, horrible, horrible things are taking place. Well, who will fall away? Well, number one, professing Christians will abandon their superficial faith. It tells us in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. False and genuine Christians assemble together in the local church. Jesus teaches us that in the parable of the five wise and five foolish. In other words, during our time, the age of grace is church age. We know that the church can be filled with true Christians and professing Christians. In the last days, there will be an apostasy. People that claim to know the Lord, profess to know the Lord, they will abandon their faith. The scripture tells us before the great harvest, wheat and tares will be growing up together. They look the same. Until the end, until the bearing of fruit, right before the harvest. Well, we are right before the harvest of God's church. And there are wheat and there are tares. They're very similar in appearance. And so shall it be in the last days, this great apostasy where people that claim to know God, talk as if they know God, even look like Christians, yet they will be turned from the truth. Also, Christians will fall from their steadfastness. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, it says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. That's talking about the false prophets in the end times, uh, tempting even believers, true believers, from falling from their steadfastness. Their steadfastness in Christ and their steadfastness in truth. Now, let me deviate just a little bit. In Psalms, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The devil loves to attack foundations. He is the lawless one. He is the great deceiver. He's the rebellious one. The spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of rebellion and the spirit of deception. That's right now is in this world, even though we don't have the man 
of sin, the lawless one revealed, yet the spirit, that attitude, that demonic influence is right now in this world, a spirit of rebellion and a spirit of deception. And the devil loves to attack, like I said, foundations. The foundation, number one, they love to attack is God's word. It goes right back to the garden. Hath God said? That's what the serpent said to Eve. Right there attacking the veracity or the truthfulness of God's word. Casting doubt on it. Hath God said? And uh, in our culture right now, we have a lot of what we call hate speech. And uh, Dr. Seuss just had a number of his books just canceled. Because of, quote, some, some drawings that they were considered maybe racist drawings. Right? So they canceled that book and other books have also been canceled. Mark my words. Mark my words. If we continue to go down this way, the Bible will be considered a hate-filled book, a racist book, a sexist book. And, it, and, the, and the secular culture will turn against the Bible and demand that it also be canceled. Mark my words. If we continue down this line, it's, it's coming. Why is that? Because the devil hates the word of the Lord. He hates the word of the Lord. He attacks the foundation. How about the foundation of marriage? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen, marriage is the foundation. <coughs> Excuse me. Marriage is the foundation of society. Society is only as healthy as marriages are healthy. Why is our culture in such disarray? Number one, because of the decline of marriage. Marriage in society. Marriage is being attacked by the enemy. Our Supreme Court, not too long ago, legalized same-sex marriage, which goes against the teachings of Scripture In the beginning, male and female, he created them. For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. That's biblical marriage between one man and one woman until death do they part. How about the foundation of sexuality? I'll tell you what, with uh, the LGBTQ uh, agenda, sexuality, It's a boy. It's a girl. I mean, your sex is the foundation, the biological foundation of who you are. I am a man. My wife is a woman. Uh, We have the the paraphernalia that proves it. Uh, It goes right to our chromosomes, right into our DNA, the X chromosome, the Y chromosome. A man is created by God as a man. A woman is created by God as a woman. There are differences, gender differences. Biology is gender according to the scripture. Gender is not a social construct, meaning that society doesn't determine your gender. You know, you treat the boy as a boy. Of course he's a boy. We'll just let that boy decide if he's really a boy, if he feels like a woman. This is madness. This is madness, right? I have this quote from an article I read from James Emerson White. He does a great job with church and culture. He had this to say, from this cultural context, Generation Z, people in the young 20s, become sexually and relationally amorphous. Consider the influential statements by outspoken young celebrities such as Kristen Stewart. She was in the, uh, the vampire movies. I forget the name of them. She was... Twilight, 
Is that what it's called? Twilight? I'm thinking of the Twilight Zone, but that's not it, right? The Twilight? Anyway, I saw the first one. I actually saw the first one on the flight across the ocean. I thought that was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, anyway, uh, she was the actress in, the, in those movies. Kristen Stewart, Miley Cyrus. We know her as a uh, pop singer. And Cara Delevingne, I guess, is a world-famous model. Stuart, when asked about her sexuality, said, I think in three or four years, there are going to be a whole lot more people who don't think it's necessary to figure out if they're gay or straight. It's like, just do your thing. And from Miley Cyrus, I don't relate to being boy or girl, and I don't have to, be, I don't have, to have my partner relate to boy or girl. What is being revealed is an increasing sexual fluidity that refuses either the homosexual or heterosexual label. The idea is that both labels are repressive. Sexuality should be set free of any and all restrictions and allowed to follow its desire moment by moment. Why? Because the greatest value for this generation is individual freedom, which translates into full-throated moral relativism. I think he nailed it. I think he nailed it. And we find in our culture, the devil is attacking the foundation, not just of the word of God. And I believe it's, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I, I am predicting this. If we continue down this road of the cancel culture, things of this nature, the Bible is going to be considered hate speech, sexist and racist, and they'll look to ban it. I'm just telling you, that's my prediction. Uh, it's attacking the word of God. It's attacking marriage. It's attacking human sexuality. These are foundation building blocks to a healthy society. The devil loves to attack these things. There's going to become a great falling away. There's a thing in the Christian community called deconstruction, where a believer goes through a process where they deconstruct their faith, where they go from believer to unbeliever. Now, this has hit home with me in a personal sense a little bit. I went to Bible college with a man named Greg Harris, and uh, he was in the class ahead of me, but we were friends, and he lived right by the church, and his wife, Sono, and I remember their little baby when he was born, and uh, their firstborn was named Joshua. And Joshua Harris then grew up, and he wrote, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and he became pastor of a mega church, and uh, he had a great influence upon young adults, the, the next generation. And I remember thinking, wow, Joshua Harris, he, he's really has quite the voice here in Christendom. And Greg Harris was huge uh, in the uh, homeschool movement. Well, Josh Harris, uh, a couple of years ago, deconstructed his faith and announced that he's no longer a believer. And uh, there's a Hillsong worship leader that also deconstructed his faith and announced that he no longer is a believer. And it's going on right now in our Christian culture that there are those who have long time been believers going through what, what they call deconstruction, where they literally began to deconstruct their faith and now claim to be no longer believers, but rather atheists. There is this thing called progressive Christianity that is a major influence in church in America. It is not biblical. Matter of fact, it is anti-biblical and anti-word of God. And part of the progressive Christianity and the deconstruction of your faith has to do with four areas. More than this, but I'll talk about four real quick here. Number one is scriptural fallibility. 
They no longer believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, like we consider inspired, that the Bible is the word of God that is absolutely trustworthy, that it is God-breathed, infallible, without error, and our rule of faith and practice. Well, they believe in scriptural fallibility, that this is the writings of men. And somehow in the pages of scripture, you can find God speaking to you, or this is just simply the writings of men, and it's just religious literature, no better than any other religious literature. The second area is what we call universalism. Rob Bell, who pastored a a church over in the Grand Rapids area, I remember he wrote a book called Love Wins, where he talked about literally about universalism, which is a heresy. Where they believe that uh, no matter what you believe, you do not have to accept Christ as your Savior to go to heaven. Eventually, love wins out and everybody goes to heaven. Universal salvation. Well, if that's the case, Christ didn't have to come and die. And we believe that there's a literal hell. And the Bible talks about a hell. And you must believe. Whoever believes not is condemned already, and the wrath of God abides on him, the Scripture says. Repent, every one of you, and believe the gospel. Jesus says that we must repent and flee the wrath to come. Universalism, it's a heresy. The third area is what they call the monster God theory. This one also is very important to me because we have Good Friday coming up and Easter Sunday. But Good Friday, I've preached for years, Good Friday. And I've preached on the, the blood of Jesus, the cross, Jesus taking our place, he being a substitution. He took upon himself the sins of the world. He faced the Father's wrath, so we no longer face the Father's wrath. The eternal Son of God suffered temporarily at the cross, so we might be eternally saved and not have to suffer for our sins he took our place he took his sufferings upon himself it pleased the father to bruise him that's what i believe i believe the bible teaches that but the monster god theory basically is this god the father must be a monster to pour out his wrath on his son What type of heavenly father, loving father would do that? That makes him out to be a child abuser, a monster God. So they no longer believe in the vicarious sufferings of Christ or the substitutionary sufferings of Jesus Christ. My friend, that goes to the heart of what we call the atonement, the power of the cross, I love Jesus because he willingly laid down his life. And I love my heavenly father because he sent his son to die on that cross. And I love the Holy Spirit because Jesus was led of the Spirit to the cross. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is all a part of my great salvation and your great salvation. Amen. So there is coming a falling away, and I see that in our culture. I see that in Christendom. I see that in various denominations. Did you know the Methodist Church right now is having a split? Where one part of the Methodist Church is now believing in gay marriage and is gay affirming, and the other part said, no, we can't do this because we're Bible believers. I tell you what, the one that says, no, we can't do this, we're Bible believers, and holds fast the word of the Lord, I want to know that their candlestick will shine bright. Jesus will walk in the midst of that candlestick. They will shine the light of the word of God. Hmm. The man of sin. I'm running out of time. Who is this man of sin? Well, in verse 3, I believe this man of sin is the Antichrist. 
He's called in verse 3 also the son of perdition, which is the son of judgment. Judas was the son of perdition. The Antichrist is the son of perdition. In other words, born to destruction, eternal destruction. He is in verse 8, the lawless one. In verse 4, he commits the abomination of desolation. Verse 9, it says, the coming of the lost one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. I believe that he will be demon-possessed. Some would say, I know who the Antichrist is. If you know who he is, then you've missed the rapture and are in the tribulation period. Because the lawless one is revealed when the restrainer is taken out of the way. Well, who is this restrainer? Listen to what it says in verse 6 and 7. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. God can restrain sin. And he can restrain the devil's purpose and activity. The Lord can restrain that for his glory and for his purpose. And as quick as the devil wants to raise up this antichrist, the Holy Spirit says, not now, not yet, not yet, not yet. The time is not yet, not yet, not yet. He who restrains will restrain it to be taken out of the way. I believe it is the restrainer in the local church. I believe what is keeping that antichrist from coming to power is God's spirit and his activity within his church which is us. And so he is not coming to be revealed until we, his church, are taken out of the way in the great translation called the rapture of the church, First Thessalonians chapter 4. The church is the salt and light where the city set on the hill. We are the pillar and ground of truth. We are the habitation of God in the spirit according to the scriptures. We are the bride of Christ. We've been given the great commission as our mission. We watch over the ordinances of the church, water baptism, and uh, communion. And when we are taken out of the way in the rapture, the Holy Spirit's restraining influence, holding back the Antichrist, is now lifted, and the Antichrist comes to power. This doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not active in the world. It merely says that his restraining hand now is lifted in that area. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, there will be tribulation saints that are standing before the throne of God. So there will be people saved, I believe, in the tribulation. So we know that the Holy Spirit still is actively down here doing what he needs to do. The Bible tells us in verse 10 and 11, it says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why does God send strong delusion upon unbelievers during the great tribulation period so that they will not be saved? Because they have rejected, rejected, rejected. And then the rapture of the church comes. They harden their heart. And because they've hardened their heart to truth and continue to harden their heart to truth, God then pronounces judicial judgment upon them and sends them delusion. In other words, enables them to believe the lies of the enemy that seals them in a state of unbelief and eternal judgment. You can only be saved by the spirit of grace. 
by the Holy Spirit drawing you. Judicial judgment is basically the Holy Spirit saying, I am no longer going to draw you to Christ. I am sealing you in your unbelief. God has every right to do that because he's a righteous judge. And during the great tribulation period, God is going to do that to many that are on this earth. Perhaps to those that take that mark of the beast. Because the Bible says in the great tribulation, when you take the mark of the beast, you are eternally judged by God. Perhaps those that take that mark are the ones being referred to here in verses 10 to 12. Well, we talked about foundations. We talked about how the devil loves to attack foundations. May I ask you this? How are your foundations doing? Do you believe that this is the word of God? Do you believe that what the Bible says concerning sin, salvation, Jesus Christ, the cross, the blood, heaven, hell, faith, grace, do you believe it? Do you believe what it says about marriage, about sexuality, that this book is truth? It shines the light. It guides and directs us into all truth that we need to believe this and alter our thinking to this rather than say, I believe this and our culture believes this, so this must be changed. I believe in the authority of God's word. I believe this needs to change my thinking. I believe that our church needs to be relevant Obviously, we need to present to the, to the world a gospel that really does work. And Jesus really does work. But I also believe that we need to be revolutionary. That we're not like this world. And our morality is not like this world's morality. And our perspective is not like this world's perspective. And our beliefs are not like this world's beliefs. But we stand separate and distinct from this world. And they might try to change us and fashion us and shape us with what they're thinking. But we are believers in the word of God. My friend, we need to believe in the foundations of the word of God. Am I right about that? Amen. Hallelujah. And you have my pledge as God is my witness. To God be the glory as best I can. I will stay true to this word. Our staff will stay true to this word. And that we will not be molded and shaped and conformed to the things of this world. No matter how challenging it is. Has the cultural problems, stresses, and fears revealed cracks in your foundation. Sometimes that happens. I wasn't as strong in faith as I thought. I'm filled with fear. I'm challenged by this ever-changing morality. I don't know what to think. Listen, sometimes that happens. The Bible says that there could be such deception that we can fall from our steadfastness. Let's not fall from our steadfastness in Christ or in the truth of his word. Hold fast. Hold fast. 
They might not like it out there. They might ridicule you, call you a hater, whatever it is. We're not hating anybody. For God so loved the world, let's love God, let's love people. Let's welcome everybody that comes through those doors that perchance they might be saved. But let's, let's, let's have grace and truth. Grace and truth. Let's hold fast. Amen. I stand for the flag. I kneel before the cross. Let's hold fast. Hold fast. Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We believe your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, that you've delivered us from the wrath to come. We thank you, Lord, that all that calamity coming upon the face of the earth, Lord, that you have saved us from that. And we thank you for those wonderful promises. And, Lord, I know that there's going to be strong delusion. I know the enemy, the wicked one, will sow discord and confusion and deception and rebellion. But, oh, Lord, you have saved us. Place your spirit on the inside of us. And we are your people and we are your church. And we are going to stand on the word and hold fast to our Savior. And even though the storms of life might come and blow upon us, we are founded on the word and we are going to remain standing. If you agree with that, say amen. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, what better time than right now to give your heart to Jesus? My friend, I would love to bring you into a saving relationship with the Lord so that you might be saved from the terrible calamities yet to come. That you might believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you want to give your heart to Christ to be saved from your sins and from coming judgment, then you raise your hand and I'll pray for you. You lift your hand up high and I will pray for you. All right, let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. God bless you. Hope you were encouraged today. Were you encouraged? You need to be. Don't be shaken. Don't be troubled. You've been saved. Comfort yourself with these words. Jesus is coming for you. And he's delivering you from the wrath to come. Somebody say amen to that.